Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the Webby-nominated podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please also check out my other podcast, Kids Do Have Time to Read Books. I'm on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and at Kids Do Have Time to Read. So please follow me. And if at any time you have suggestions, my email is zibby at zibbyowens.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much to my latest sponsor, the Mermaid Pillow Company, mermaidpillowco.com. They make these amazing pillows with sequins on the back and positive messages on the front. And they now even make custom pillows and blankets. It's an amazing company. And if you enter the code Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y, you will get 10% off, which is super cool. So please check them out, mermaidpillowco.com. So I'm really excited to be here today with Lisa Barr. Lisa is the award-winning author of the historical thriller, Fugitive Colors. Her most recent sexy treed is The Unbreakables. Lisa was the editor of the Jerusalem Post, managing editor of today's Chicago Woman, managing editor of Moment Magazine, and an editor reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. She's also the creator of the popular parenting blog, Guerrilla Warfare, and has been featured on Good Morning America and today for her work as an author, journalist, and blogger. She earned her master's in journalism from the Middle School of Journalism at Northwestern and lives in the Chicago area with her husband and three children. All right? Yes, you got it. <laughs> All right. And well, a dog. And a dog. All right. <laughs> so welcome, Lisa. Thanks thank for coming on. Thank Mom's you. Thanks for having me. This is so great to finally meet you in person. You too. You too. Yeah. I know. So many emails. So <laughs> many emails. I love all of your postings. Oh, it's just, you. it's great. Yeah. Thank you. So can you tell listeners what The Unbreakables is about and what inspired you to write it? Well, The Unbreakables is about a woman from Chicago whose husband and best friends end up betraying her. And she loses everything, basically, in one fell swoop. And she decides to go to Paris first to meet her daughter, who's also dealing with her own heartbreak. And once she gets out there, she makes a split decision to go to the south of France to really heal from her wounds. And there, she reclaims her sensuality and also her abilities as a sculptor, which she pretty much let go of. And the book came about, it was July 2015, and I don't know if you remember this, but the Ashley Madison hack. Yeah, of course. Okay, so Ashley Madison, their motto is, life is short, have an affair. Despicable, right? Anyway, hackers got a hold of this and they threatened Ashley Madison, if you don't shut this site down, we are going to expose all of your, you know, users. So, of course, they thought it was a bluff. And very soon after, more than 32 million users were exposed. So there I was out with friends for dinner. And one of the friends said, got the list. And it was the list of our suburb, the suburb next to us, and the one nearby. And it's not my proudest moment, I have to say, (laughs) but he started reading off the names. And there I was, I was completely shocked. It was friends from different parts in my life, you know, high school, college, friends of my kids, you know, parents. And I was shocked and I kept wondering to myself, oh my God, what now? What's going to happen now that these names are all exposed? And so the story began to form. Oh my gosh. I know I emailed you when I started reading this. I was like, did this happen to you? Tell me this did no, not no, happen to you. No, this did not happen to me. It did not happen to me. But, but just the imagining what could happen. Yeah. And then the other thing that inspired me 
simultaneously, one of my daughters was going through, you know, the traumatic high school breakup and, you know, a long relationship. And it's devastating. We all know that first heartbreak. I've been there. That has happened to me. And I thought to myself, could a relationship from high school last and go the distance? You know, with all the evolving we do as women and as, as and as men, could it go the distance? So in Sophie Bloom, my protagonist case, she does marry her high school sweetheart. She's been with one man. And then steam, things started to break down. And so that's where it all kind of gelled together in my crazy writer head. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. The stuff about being a sculptor. Yes. The stuff that was not very eloquent. The parts of the book where you describe being a sculptor were mm-hmm. particularly interesting to me because I don't ever really read about that. You read about artists and yeah. painting, and I've never sculpted myself. So I was wondering, do you sculpt or do you know someone well who's a sculptor? How did you know all the terms? And it was so real. Like I felt like now I could now you know, go now try you can go sculpt. Yeah, I can do it now. <laughs> you know, my first book, it was about artists, you know, uh, during World War II, the eve of World War II. And I just, I'm so passionate about art. You know, I can't paint, I can't sing, but I can, you know, I can belt it out in my car, right. you know, like, you know, my kids would be mortified. But with sculpting, I decided I wanted to, you know, try something. Sculpting is really a metaphor in this book. And it's not just that she's sculpting, but in a sense, she's creating a masterpiece. And what you see, which she's actually creating a masterpiece, but also creating a masterpiece, which is her own life. And I decided that I needed to really investigate that. So I met a sculptor when I was in Napa and he, you know, I stayed with him for a while and he gave me all the terms and he told me where to go and what to look up. And so I really did the research on it and I kind of fell in love with it as I was researching. I know. The way you wrote about it, made it sound very appealing to me. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, if I ever need a new hobby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. With all that spare time. I mean, you think about it, just taking a block of stone and yeah. creating. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing, yeah. So Sophie, in your book, her life basically changes in an instant, similar to yeah. your friends who were at the dinner, or people that you knew. And she says, I can't believe that just a few hours ago, we were all sitting at a trendy downtown restaurant enjoying good wine and celebrating my birthday. And I should say, Sophie, in the book, Finds out. Can I say this? Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, Sophie, the the protagonist of the book, finds out that her husband was on the list. Yes. And that is how the rest of the plot unfolds. My life was still the same. Good, comfortable, dependable, oblivious. I was not this cheated on, pathetic, totally lost, watered down version of me. So I feel like this is the beginning of Sophie's shift in identity and personality. Did you intend to sort of weave that through? Like, was it intentional to show the different phases that she went through and you know, the contrast from where she started? I mean, you hit it exactly on the nose. So, you know, we all hear about there's a breakup and you have to go through the five stages of grief, really, in a breakup, whether it's a loss. And I wanted to kind of, bam, show everything breakdown for her and then how she was going to build herself up. And in the beginning, or as, and this is not a spoiler as well, Sophie decides to kind of bypass the stages of grief. And and, in a sense, you know, denial 101. And I think where I was going with that is trying to create a situation where she would end up going through the stages of grief in obviously very different scenarios and end up on the other side. So it was intentional. And I felt like the reader needed to feel the explosion of Sophie's life from the get-go. 
And you described the explosion really well when you said, <laughs> so when Sophie's going through the worst of her feelings, you write, it's as if I have been blown to smithereens and somehow survived the trauma with no arms, no legs, just remainders, a head and a heart to comprehend and feel it all. I want to die and I want to live. I want to cry and I want to scream. I want to laugh at the absurdity and I want to go stark raving mad. And that is when she had denied it and then she's all of a sudden went from you know, anger, sadness, and you what you hit on was rage. She was, you know, about to go postal, basically, yeah. and let it all out. And in that scene is really a change you see in Sophie, kind of accepting her rage and then moving on from there. So when I was reading all of this in the back of my head, I was like, I wonder if this happened to Lisa. Is she really angry about something? Did she go through something like this? And then as I was, not to be creepy, but then I was, you know, researching you and I found out that you had also gone through a divorce. Yes. And your ex-husband was no longer in the picture yes. from when your daughters were young. Can you talk about that I at totally all? I totally can you talk don't about that. No, I'm, I mean, I'm an open book, so it's it's okay. It's I, funny when you say that with your open book. With my open table. book, right. exactly. Anyway, yeah. Look at it. It was... Exactly that. In my case, which was also where my husband disappeared, and I, we haven't seen or heard from him since 2002. I mean, literally disappeared. And I even had three private detectives trying to find him. I mean, it's out of a bad after-school special Donna Dixon movie, you know? And From one day to the next? Yes. And so basically... He left, and I, at that time, my, my girls are, you know, college age now, but they were three and five, and they never got to say goodbye. And it was a lot of picking up the pieces, and you can just imagine how traumatic yeah. that was, you know, because I know you have your four kids, yeah, right? And yes. so it was traumatic, and so he disappeared, cleaned out my bank account, and he I— He did? He did, and I was left with, and I still have the receipt, 67 cents in my no. bank account. Yeah, and so it was a lot— of trauma. And I was kind of like Sophie, where I had this job. I was a journalist. I, you know, was a professional. And then it was this nightmare that just happened. And it was pure survival. And literally for two years, I slept three hours a night in order to make our lives work. And as you know, when you're going through a trauma or divorce, you still have to be fun mommy. Right, you can. And you, even when you're going through your worst possible a scenario. So when you're talking about the rage oh earlier, that's how I felt. And then later on, you know, even though my story and Sophie's were very different, those same emotional, all the feels that went through this book were a lot of things that I too experienced. Okay, I have to ask a little bit. Yeah, more yeah, about no, this. no, go ahead. Did you have any idea he was going to leave? I like I, did you talk about like maybe you should split up or did he just I, like there go- were we you know, obviously we were married at the time nine years. Yeah. So it was pretty much of a surprise. I'm I knew so sorry things that happened were, to you. We, yes, thank you. And I mean things weren't great, but having come from divorce, I think, and just to be perfectly honest, divorce scared me more than death scares me. It just that is the truth. And so I really wanted to hang on to this, even though it wasn't great for me, and clearly it wasn't great for him either, but I wanted to hang on at all costs. And then there was a huge cost. And really, I spent the next three years or so, it was all about my kids, like getting them to go from being in so much pain to being okay. And so it was a lot of survival at that time. I was similar to you. My parents were divorced. Yeah. And when I got married, I was like... No matter how miserable I end up, I will never get divorced. Yeah. 
but and then I got, I did end up getting divorced. Yes. But. And then, but then look at, look who you've got, the guy oh, with the helmet. The, the guy know? with the helmet. <laughs> you know? That and, guy. and No, uh, but I feel like when you start out, you have all the, well, anyway, I don't want yeah. to Yeah. No, I, I, I get it. And if it's something you want to talk about live, I'm, yeah. I'm <laughs> no, it's, I can't. <laughs> but yeah, but it is really traumatic. And, but I think the thing that happens and which is clear in the book is that so much of us as mothers, it's so much about our kids and our yes. kids that when we finally get to us at the very end, you know, it, there's, you're sort of lost. And she was lost. She didn't know how to do Sophie mm-hmm. just as Sophie because that wasn't her experience or how she parented. Yeah. And then, and then it was so empowering how she finds herself. Finds and, her way. And she's yeah. like, I'm just going to do this. And she deletes everything. I mean, that yeah. was like, it's like, is she really doing this? Like, yes. She's just starting over. Starting over from scratch. From scratch. Yeah. It's, it's like... And and yeah, I think it's it's like a perfect novel, right? Because you're like, oh, what would happen if I just rebooted? Right. right. Which and, is kind of what you know. Yeah, and I think it's also, you know, where it's the unbreakables, it has a lot of different symbolism and various points in the book, but I think what it really is is that your spirit is unbreakable at the end of the day. It's the triumph of the spirit with all the adversity and things that can happen. It's like I'm still standing. Yeah. You know, no matter all these things that happen. So I feel like in the beginning there was so much of her trying to understand how she missed it. Yeah. And now I'm wondering if that came from if you had felt that. I mean, it must have like because I felt like Sophie just kept saying, "Well, how did I miss this? And how did I miss that?" And then she take starts taking it apart. Well, there was that thing at the prom. And right. There was that you know night when I was sick, and maybe I don't know. Just that right. when you go back and you like doubt yourself. Yeah. And I could just. I mean, haven't you ever been sideswiped? Yes, where, of course. Like where I you mean, think you know I'm together. I'm you know I see myself as a smart person and and intuitive and perceptive. And then how did I blow this? How did I not see what was right there. And so, yes, that's exactly the same thing with, with Sophie. Not and then part it. of Sophie's new persona is she like redoes, she does her hair all over again, right? She <laughs> highlights her hair and I'm sitting there reading this and I was like, I just highlighted my, maybe this is like a divorce thing. I and, and then even more drastic, she got bangs. Yes. And bangs, which no. Exactly. But, you know, you see that a lot, you know, whatever problems were in a marriage, like you see someone who, you know, will get a boob job right after the breakup or they'll, you know, all of a sudden start to work out or a husband who's like done nothing but sit on the couch and all of a sudden he's everywhere and doing things. And you wonder why couldn't that have happened during the marriage? And I think when it comes down to it, it's like all of a sudden you're raw again. Mm-hmm. It's just you. And you're thinking to yourself, how can I be the newest, freshest, best version of myself? And so maybe it comes down to highlights. <laughs> right before I got remarried, I went to a soul cycle class, yeah. which I haven't done in years, but I used to go before my wedding. And the teacher said that the word recover, you know how when you rest, recover, yeah. when you, between like spinning. Yeah, the, yeah. The word recover applies to so much because you're actually recovering physically, but also recovering yourself, right? Making like a new body almost. And I thought about that when I was getting married because not only do you recover from whatever, but you're oftentimes dyeing your hair, you're getting new clothes, or you're taking off to the south of France or something to make yourself new again. And that allows you to recover. Exactly. Exactly. And then you also think like in this lifetime, and if you're blessed with years, it's like, there's so many lives that happen in one, you know, like my divorce was so traumatic, but I ended up 
marrying the second time around. I got it right. Oh, good. With the, the best guy in the world who ended up adopting my kids. Oh, no way. Yeah, That's yeah. So, so there's, nice. And so they, they have this beautiful father who, you know, taught them to do everything. And he's the guy. He's the guy. He's the their dad. He's there for these girls. And I could well up thinking about that. But, you know, that's the dad that they know now. And they're going to have a great experience with men because of this man who I married. And so it is, it's this, you, and so I think of all the, you know, the trials and tribulations that you go through and everyone goes through them. If you're having a divorce or a loss or something, and then you come out of it on the other end and it's almost like it fades. Mm -hmm. It starts to really fade away. How resilient are you though? I mean, to go, how resilient are you? No, but you know, it's, it's, and then to have it be in book form and all the things you've contributed and the Gorilla yeah. blog and everything. I mean, it's great. Well, I have to tell you a funny story. Yeah. Well, funny, not funny. So in between my first book and this book, yep. there was another book okay. that was written. And it was a memoir of our experience. And I asked both of my girls, I said, can I write our story? And they said, only if we can pick out our names. Okay, <laughs> so I'm like, done. So I spent over a year and a half writing this memoir, and I put it all out there, my heart and my soul. And then one of my daughters was entering high school, and she said, Mommy, please don't put this book out. It's going to be so embarrassing. And so here I just spent really all this time, and you know how it is when it comes down to book or your kids, it's your kids at the end of the day. So I shelved it. But I put a lot of those emotions in this book. So that's kind of what happened there. I mean, did you have the ridiculous sex scenes in the da- in the okay. version that your daughter's had? Okay. I yeah, could okay. see her finding some embarrassment in that. Okay, I mean, this so is like she has a, a steamy, you know, I was like blushing at some of the stuff in this book. Let's talk about the sex scenes. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I did sit my girls. I have three daughters. I have, I have a stepdaughter, but they're all my daughters. I don't call them step or, or, you know, originals or whatever you want, biological. They're all my daughters. And I did tell them, I said, this book is very different from Fugitive Colors, and it gets little racy. And they're like, oh my God. I said, said, it's okay. It's, it's going to be okay. I promise. And I said, it's the character. It's not me. And it is, it's the character. It's not me. But you know, I've had my experiences, just not Sophie's experiences. But what I think, you know, I was thinking about this on the drive over here. And because I knew sex would come up with, (laughs) with our discussion. And it's really, if you look at the sex scenes, it's really what's going on in the sex scenes that's aside from the sex. It's what's in Sophie's head. This is the first time she's been with anyone else outside of her husband and and at at 42 years old. So this is going to be big. But obviously this was blow your mind sex, right? But I needed to have something, again, so profound for Sophie that it would really, you know, make her stop in her tracks. And it really forced her to think about the before, forced her to think about her husband and this and about passion and sort of what, what her takeaway was afterwards. So I, I think when you're writing a sex scene, it's the least important part about it is actually the sex itself. Okay. <laughs> if that makes sense. It gets steamy, it gets exciting. But but that's what I was that's what I was going for here <laughs> as well. And tell me a little more about your process of writing this book. So you wrote that memoir. 
shelved it, decided to import some of the feelings. Right. And then how long did it take to write this book and where and when do you like to write? Like, do you write at home? Yes, yes. Okay, those are great questions. Okay, so this book, my first book, took a very long time. It was a lot of research. This book just spilled out of me. I mean, literally spilled. I made a deadline for myself. Now that my kids are older, the time is mine. You know, I'm sure you know because you have a mix of ages of kids. My time is not mine. And so... When my kids were younger, it was all about stealing time. Put a video on. I've got 20 minutes. Put, you know, when I was nursing one of my daughters, I would type one-handed. I never slept when they slept, when they were babies. I, it was stealing. Who does that? Who sleeps? when they sleep. I was like, I I have so much much to get done. Are you kidding? Yeah, who sleeps when they sleep? And so it was all about stealing time. Now I have time. I wake up early and I, I get to work. And so I work most of the day, and then I do all my mom errands and stuff later on. But I usually write at a cafe. So it's been where I've had my little spot in Starbucks. And it's funny, someone will sit there and see me coming and get up from their seat. I'm like, "It's, it's okay, you could sit there. But I found my new little French cafe. So that's where I write. And I work every single day. And I... You know, sometimes whatever it is, I could put out a thousand words and the next day I'll look at it and say, oh my God, this is crap. Or the next day I'll say, this is great. And, you know, keep going. So this one just spilled out of me. I think it just, it was in me. And so this took about a year or so to write, which is a pretty short time or reasonable, I guess. And then obviously there's, you know, the editing, the revision, rinse and repeat. Right. And so that, that's been the process there. With the writing. How are you working on another book now? So I just turned something into my agent, and I'm going to kind of hear where that all went tomorrow. Oh, good luck. But it's, it's again, very different from this one. So I think I have, you know, achieved the cardinal sin in writing where I've been genre jumping, and, you know, you're Mm -hmm. supposed to stay with your brand. So my first book was Historical Suspense. This is hardcore women's fiction. And this next one is a little bit of a combo. It is suspense. It it utilizes all my journalism background. And it's about a young journalist who's pitted. She lands on this story. And it's against the top terrorist who actually happens to be a woman. So it's a woman versus woman type of story. And she's a mom. And, you know, different things happen. So. And has your agent given you any pushback about the Genre uh, we're we're going to talk about it tomorrow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but we'll see. But I've I've got another book as well that kind of goes in the line in lines with the Unbreakables. If this one has to you know be put aside, so I, I'm prepared. <laughs> so we could have like a whole nother podcast just about your article in Women Interrupted yes. in Gorilla, which talked about. And is this okay to yeah, talk no, about? I okay. say, of course. So you write about how when you were 12, yeah. you battled anorexia nervosa. You were hospitalized. It took two years to get back to a normal weight. Mm-hmm. You had been down to 45 pounds, pounds. Yes. Which just breaks my heart. Yeah. I mean, I mean the whole thing. Yeah. And you write the essay about going back to the treatment center and, you know, doing good, talking to families and patients and how that was so emotional for you on so many levels, which I can only imagine. Yeah. And yeah. tell me just Go. Sure. Okay. So, you know, I was 12 years old and at that, the, at that time, 
eating disorders, they really didn't know very much about them. In fact, my dad had to write to the Library of Congress to get information on anorexia nervosa. And so at that time, I was, you know, I had a lot of friends. I was, you know, in the center of things in school, but I was dealing with a very traumatic divorce with my parents. And I was the eldest of, of four and kind of holding down the fort. And I think it was a lot of pressure for such a young girl. And I hid it from my friends. No one knew how bad things were at home. So I think that pressure and trying to stay in control broke down my system. And I started losing weight, not understanding, started exercising, you know, relentlessly. And the weight just started to drop and then it became uncontrollable. And so I went, at that time, I was always kind of small and, you know, it. I went from probably a normal 75, 80 at that time to 45 pounds and nearly died. And so I know it's heartbreaking. You know, I think back to that little girl back then and how much, I went through. But, you know, even with everything, I knew I was going to be okay in the end. And I had great therapists at that time and a lot of help. And I got back on my feet and a lot of young women don't. But I think because I was so young, all I wanted to do was to go to overnight camp with my friends. And so in order for me to go, I had to gain 30 pounds. And I I think had I been in high school or later on where these habits are so cemented, I would not have been able to do it. But at that time, I just wanted to be with my friends. So I was able to put on the weight in order to go a year later to overnight camp. But I think the real work probably took I would say 10 years of dealing with a lot of the pain that wraps around divorce and a lot of the pressure that goes with it. And, but the good, the silver lining that comes out of it. I've worked with a lot of girls and, and some young men with eating disorders. And I, you know, still to this day work with different young women, you know, privately, you know, just between us talking about the real stuff that goes with that. So I'm, fully recovered and, and, you know, but I think it's something that's always part of you, you know, and part of so many young women, whether we're battling weight or we're battling different messages. And for so many women, it comes to you are not enough. That's, that's the bottom line message. So if I could give anything to women, to young women, to teenagers, to women our age, you are enough. And that's where I really try to push. And even in this book, it's like to Sophie trying to figure out everything. And in the end, she kind of figures out, hey, you know what? I am enough. And she really, really tackles, you know, all the different things that go around what happens to her and really blossoms. And I think You know, I wouldn't take back what happened to me. It was traumatic, and as you can imagine. But it kind of made me who I am, the writer who I am, the mom who I am. You know, a lot of my girls' friends seek me out to talk to. And so I wouldn't have gotten that. You know, when you've sometimes been through hell and back, you have a lot that you can help people. And so... Yeah, that's what happened there. But it's all part of me. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your Yeah, experience. absolutely. And I'm, you know, I'm always open to any questions about that because I think so many women battle, you know, food, weight, relation, you know, all those things relating, whether it's overeating or undereating or the pain around it. And it's, it's so important to address it and talk about it as women. 
So I'm always open How to talk about you, it. Did you have a plan with your daughters? Like I know you said in the article, you know, anytime they said, like, do I look fat or all these things, you're like, oh my gosh, no. Yeah. yeah it's, like, what do you... It's hard because, you know, girls doubt themselves and they compare themselves. And, and especially in this awful, you know, cyber world of everything you do or say. And, and not only that, you can take your image and alter it. So the sense of what's real and what's not is so mixed up these days. I, I think it's really hard for girls and young women these days to develop, to be themselves, to not, you know, you know, there's always a picture or an Insta, you know, shot or something like that at all times. There's no break from it. So I, I would imagine it's really hard to grow up as a a girl to a young woman, you know, these days. And so I've got three of them. And there's a lot of stuff that goes on with that. And it's work on a daily basis. And even though I've been through that, all the, that experience, that's not their experience. Right. So they're going to deal with it differently. And, you know, it's hard. And I think as moms, there's, you know, you just have to keep making them feel like that they are enough and whatever they weigh, whatever they do, you know, um, whoever they are, because society tells them over and over that they're not enough. And it's a hard thing to combat as a mom raising daughters, especially. And boys go through some of these things, but not the same, you know? Yeah. And you did such a lovely job of your mother-daughter relationship in this book. You know, the push and pull that yeah. comes as they, you know, with a college-age daughter and right. how she needs her mom when she gets hurt. Yes. And then when she's feeling better, she's fine, and then she wants her dad. And that whole dynamic, which is complicated. Yes, right? it's really complicated, and especially an only child having to navigate two parents, you know, because it becomes kind of like the three of you. You're a trio against the world. And when that falls apart, you know, you're just left standing as, you know, as Ava is the the daughter, but she's not really standing. And so, you know, and as the mom, you're going through sometimes your own hell, and yet you still have to be mom. And that's a lot of work sometimes. And you just, at the end of the day, you're like splat on your bed. You know, I mean, I would literally drive into my driveway and feel like I could just plop on the driveway sometimes after, you know, dealing with a lot of things that I was going through and then dealing with your kids stuff. And those rare moments when it all works, you know, are treasured. That's true. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So do you have any advice to aspiring authors, especially having written some very different books? Yes, yes. Okay, well, you know, the obvious is don't give up. Rejection is very hard. And especially as writers, we're probably the most sensitive people out there. And, you know, there's a lot of rejection. But I also think, you know, the one thing that's really great about this whole cyber world, if, you know, there's things that are really tough, but here's the good thing. You can create a community. And so that's the beauty. I mean, here you are doing this, but and you've got a whole community you've created. You know, as a writer, I have all these different writers groups that I'm part of. And so sometimes it's so great when you, you know, I've, I've become very close friends with people, you know, through the internet or whatever it is, and then you meet them in person. But we're going through all the same experiences. And it doesn't matter if you are a starting out writer or you're a New York Times bestseller. Like we all have the same insecurities. We all have the same things we're going through. A lot of us are moms struggling like, oh my God, if I can just get time to write, where, when, how, (laughs) you know, and, or we put out a book and you're just, you put so much into it and 
you know, someone criticizes it or someone gives it a one star with no reason on Amazon and you can't do anything about it. But I think one is, you know, don't give up. Two, you know, develop a community, find it. Even if you're the new kid on the block, okay, and you find it, it's going to, you know, feel like middle school again, a little bit breaking in. But once you do, you know, you're in and you become part of a community. So that is probably the most important thing. As writers, we do so much alone. We're alone. So don't be alone here. You don't have to, you have to be alone. So that's what I would really recommend is surround yourself with writer friends who are going through the same experience. And it helps. It really helps. And it nurtures you as well. That's great advice. Really good advice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Oh my God! Thank you. Oh my God! Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This is great. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks again to my sponsor, Mermaid Pillow Co. Mermaidpillowco.com slash Zibby. Enter code Zibby for 10% off. Thanks so much. Check out those really awesome giftable pillows and blankets. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and at Zibby Owens and my new podcast at Kids Do Have Time to Read. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. 